Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville Show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. Today is Thursday, and today's program is loaded with information. We want to thank Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine for being a part of the show. The good doctor, Dr. Scott Wagner, really changing people's lives. Look at the screen if you could and take a sneak peek of the headlines we'll talk about on the Thursday, April 20th edition of the I Love Seville Show. Um, Neil Williamson put this on our radar. Keith Smith put this on my radar. Uh, then a handful of folks in the new construction, real estate, and private, I'll call it the private sector of Elmore County, put this on my radar. You've got government in Elmore County that is trying to force affordable housing into Albarl in the most crazy ways possible, including mandating, potentially, this is not official by any means, but what's, what's being percolated or thought about is a mandate for potential housing developments. If there's uh, 10 units or more, this development, 20% of it would have to be earmarked or set aside for affordable housing either the for sale or for rent. And folks are like, hit me up on the interweb, send me the DMs, the text messages, and, and they're just like, Jerry, if, if this goes from water cooler chatter to like a reality with Board of Supervisors potentially voting on this and, 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 and projects in Almoro mandated by local government that 20% of future projects, all of them, be tied to affordability, if that happens, we're, we're, we're just not going to do the projects here. We're not going to do the projects in Albemarle. If they want to red tape it up and muck it up and make it all kind of a barrier of entry or, 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 or restrict um, profitability without taking any risk off our plate, I mean, because that's what they're doing. Why don't you weave in Wick Howard on a two-shot? If, if local government jumps in and they tell private business, which is what developers are, that 20% of their future projects have to be earmarked for affordable housing and they have no choice about it, that's government telling private business what to do without, without assuming any of the risk from private business. Is that what they're doing? That's, that's what's percolating right now. That's what's being discussed right now. A good link to an article would be Free Enterprise Forum, Neil Williamson. That sounds different from what he was writing about. Did you read it? Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. This week, Albemarle County Supervisors so will hold a work it. session focused on affordable dwelling unit ordinance. The ordinance as drafted would involve an enormous expansion of local government regulatory activity in the housing sector. It is headed the wrong way, Neil Williamson writes. The heart of the program is a mandate that 20% of all projects of greater than 10 units right. to build as ADU. For ADUs, these are affordable dwelling units. For affordable dwell, uh, dwelling units designated for rent, the rents will be controlled for 30 years. For ADUs designated for sale, the prices for subsequent resales must be controlled for a period of 40 years from the date of the initial sale, and owner profits are limited after the 40-year affordability period. They also have other caveats. I mean, they have other caveats that 
local government would have to do. And if you read, did you read it? I read it twice. I read it when uh, Keith said it, and I read it again when you said it. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, no guy or gal would build a unit that's a, a, a neighborhood or a development that's 10 units or more, if this is a reality. Right. Because the government is telling the developer what to do. The government is restricting profits in the present. And for 40 years. Without taking or assuming any of the risk in the future. Remember, you are, when developing a neighborhood or doing a project that's 10 units or more, you have to do a lot of crystal ball predictions. You're acquiring land... Before you're even acquiring the land, you're doing case studies of land in the area with very expensive consultants and engineers and folks figuring out where you're going to buy and where the best opportunity is. That's, That's one of your first investments right there. Then once you target a couple pieces that you want to purchase, then you really have to take a deep dive if you can make it work. And then once you take a deep dive and make it work... A lot of things can change in the market. The market can move. We've seen already this year the market move. From January until this year, the car footprint, you talk to Keith, depending on the zip code, depending on the neighborhood, it's moved anywhere from 6 to 14% this year alone. I just don't want to see Albemarle muck up. Um, I don't want to see Albemarle's government muck up housing even more by forcing those who create the housing to earmark 20% of the project to income levels. Yeah. What was your beef here? I mean, you, 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 you had some un- questions or you were uncertain of the article or something. No, it sounded like you were saying that, uh, that they were, it sounded like you were saying that Albemarle County was going to force, uh, Force builders to uh, developers, developers to uh, uh, create twenty percent. You hadn't. Uh, it was just a nitpick. It sounded like. Uh, so what, what? 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 How? How could I have presented it differently based on what you're saying? Saying that uh, that developers, if they want to create more than ten houses have to allocate 20% of that to uh, affordable housing. That's what I said. Not initially. Okay. Developers, if they want to do a neighborhood... I uh, mean, you don't have to keep going on it. I know. This is just... This is what we talk about, though, about the... uh, um, All right. Anyway. The project, if they want to do 10 or more, they need to do... If it's... If this becomes a reality... 20% 20% needs to be allocated for affordable. People just won't do the projects. They'll yeah. cap them at nine, or they'll go somewhere else and do the work. Yeah. I mean, the folks that are licking their chops right now are Green County. Green County is right now thinking, oh, my God, please make this reality. Almaro County will take all the leftover business that you're going to screw up for, for, for your jurisdiction, and we'll scoop it up and bring them to Green Government shouldn't get in stuff like this. If they want to put a money for affordable housing in a pot and that pot can be allocated by government, that's fine. Okay? I'm, I'm fine if you want to take some money 
from a developer, from a proffer standpoint, or if you want to say to this businessman or this businesswoman, look, you're building a neighborhood here. You're going to have to hook up the area because you're making money in what you're doing and you're straining the area's resources, its infrastructure. So you're going to have to you know, scratch our back if we're going to scratch your back. And they hook up the area with some money in a pot. That's one thing. But telling a developer that 20% of what he's got to do or what she's got to do is going to be tied to an income threshold, peeps ain't going to do that. It sounds like a lot of more work because wouldn't the uh, developer be in charge of... No. No what? In charge of what? Checking the income requirements? Yeah, doing all that, getting, the pers- getting lower income uh, people into those, the 20%? No. no. Did you read the article? It literally says, based on our analysis, the ADU program would require the county executive or his or her designee to set price control limits on ADU resale, create and maintain a database of county certified purchasers, maintain account files and correspondence with all lenders associated with each and every finance ADU purchase, maintain annual owner certification for each and every ADU, maintain capital improvement file. This would be the county, not the developer. Okay, but that's a lot of words that doesn't really say a lot about what the developer is on the hook for. The developer is on the hook for 20% of the project being tied to income thresholds. That's what the developer's on the hook. Then the county's going to have to go go in here, and it's going to create a boatload more back-end paperwork for a, a department within the county government that's already strained from an output standpoint. Okay. Does that make sense? No. Okay, how can I, how can I make this easier to understand? I mean, uh, so, so once they build, they set aside... 20% for lower income housing and they wipe 20% for affordable affordable okay affordable very huge different than lower income housing affordable dwelling unit ordinance is what this is called it would be tied to 20% of the inventory they develop would be tied to income thresholds all right now you're nitpicking I, I, I don't think that's nit, nitpicking. The, the, the phrase that you utilized beforehand was a completely different type of housing. Okay. That's a different type of housing. <laughs> but go ahead. So, uh, so who's in charge of getting people into the houses? You're saying the, you're saying the county? The folks that want to get, that buy the, that get the 20% of the development... That's tied to affordable? That's tied to income levels? Is that what you're asking? No, I'm asking who's in charge of selling the houses and getting the the affordable people in there. That's a great question. Fantastic question right there. Because that's what wasn't answered in all that, uh, in all the the stuff that, all the stuff that's in the article uh, about, uh, you know, what the county is going to have to create and take care of and do in terms of uh, databases and all that stuff. And what I said about uh, the, the developers being in charge of, uh, of getting affordable families into those 20% homes. 
Uh, Neil Williamson says, Albemarle's affordable dwelling unit program is a bad way to integrate increased inclusionary zoning. He says, in addition, these units must be similar in size, landscaping, amenities, and be throughout the development. They cannot be compartmentalized in one spot. Um, the reason I'm highlighting this and why I'm being asked to highlight this, if you want to just go to a one-shot, the reason I'm being asked to highlight this is... Um, the folks that are in this space that do the business are saying straight up that we're not going to do the projects if this is how it's going to be a reality. That we'll take our work elsewhere or we're just going to do projects, the, the smaller guys will just do smaller projects. Projects that are uh, um, under, under the 10 threshold. So I want to highlight it. I want to bring it to your attention. I think this is something the media should cover. NBC 29 wrote two or three paragraphs on about this um, 19 hours ago. Four paragraphs, excuse me. Um, take a deeper dive. Because if you want to limit, if you want to make housing more expensive locally, you limit the stock. You limit the amount of it. Um, all right, next topic. And are you putting the lower thirds on screen? Folks are saying that those are not on there. No. All right, we got it. We got to, if you could do that. Please, um, let's go. The next one I want to go to would be um, UVA number one in USA for high paying finance jobs. All right. Thank you very much. <clears throat> um, I, Deep Throat's got some good comments here. He says inclusions requirements are hugely controversial. Some of the rabid upzoners hate. Um, hate this because they say it is used as a poison, t poison pill to make development financially unfeasible. This is exactly what this is doing. It's making development financially unfeasible. In reality, uh, most of these uh, ordinances allow developers just to buy out of the requirement. I think the, the developer should be able to potentially throw money into a pot and then allow Almoro to figure out what it wants to do with that money or any jurisdiction. But for the jurisdiction to get into the neighborhood and get into the plans with the developer and say, developer, 20% of what you're doing has got to be uh, tied to affordability, that's, that's, that's just not reality. It's not today's world. It's not today's world. If local government came to my businesses or if local government came to my portfolio of 24 rental units and said, Jerry, of your 24 rental units, 4.8 of them, 4.8 of them have to be tied to an income threshold with, with who's renting from you, I would say, screw you. I'd sell the portfolio and go elsewhere. I would not, I would not allow anything of that to happen. Throwing the money into a pot is a different story. Okay? And then allowing that money to go elsewhere is a different story. If you guys disagree, I'm open-minded to hearing the disagreement. Chad Wood says, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm against government power and involvement in business, business but I also understand the need for affordable housing. Just have them give 20% of the project in cash and let the county build affordable housing where they see fit. Both sides win. I mean, throw it into a pot. We're, we're in agreement there, Chad. Carol Thorpe, whether it's the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors or Charlottesville City Council, our local governing bodies weasel their way into everything. They insist on a finger on every pie, a seat at every table, often to the detriment of result. Local government is less government is best. Carol, amen. Love you, Carol. Mean that. Anything you want to add to this, J-Dubs? Vanessa Parker, I'll get to your comment here. No, I think our uh, 
I think our commenters have done a pretty good job helping out. Uh, I agree. I think it'd be a lot better to just uh, just have the developers pay into something that the county can use to to help that, out. That does exist, by the way. You 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 are able to throw money into a pot, or that 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 has become a reality. Folks have said that hasn't been that hasn't materialized affordable housing. That's why they're looking for other solutions to create affordability. Because the idea of just throwing to a money into a pot, but that's not that that could be a, a result of 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 not managing the money, yeah. Local government not managing the money well, or allocating it well, or 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 deploying it well, but throwing the money to a slush fund, an affordable affordable housing slush fund, has existed for forever. That's not novel or new. Um, Vanessa Parkhill, when 20% is required to be set aside for affordable housing, the remaining 80% pick up the difference. That's a great point right there. The result is a more challenging barrier to entry for young people who have a good job but have not reached the sweet spot of their career's income yet. That's a damn good statement right there. Sounds, And that sounds kind of like what I think Biden is planning on doing. Have you heard about this? I have not. There's, uh, they're basically going to pass a bill where... Uh, People with uh, people with higher uh, uh, people with better chances of getting into housing have to help pay for people with uh, poorer chances, mostly mostly uh, new uh, new buyers and low income buyers. You hadn't heard about that. Um, I have heard of that. I don't think that's going to have the uh, kind of support to move forward. I, I think it's already gone through. We're 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 uh, we're a crazy time. We're so, everyone's looking at some kind of looking for some kind of boost. Anyway, let's let's go back to the topics that matter here. Um, UVA number one in the country for public universities for producing high dollar finance jobs. I bring that to your attention because of a number of reasons. McIntyre School of Commerce, this is undergraduate. McIntyre School of Commerce, the undergraduate program, is phenomenal. And one of the metrics to justify its credibility is the finance graduates and the income they make coming out. And right now, UVA Public University is number one at it. I also bring this up to you because as UVA produces top income um, earners, these top income earners, some percentage of them, and it's impossible to know the exact number. I would love to know the exact number of UVA graduates who eventually come back to Charlottesville area to live. Like if there's X amount of graduates every year, how many of those X amount of graduates every year end up moving back to the Charlottesville area? I would love to know that number. I bring the finance number up to you, and I'll give you the exact fact here, the exact statistic, the exact tidbit from the article. I bring this up to you because a percentage of graduates end up moving back to this area. So if they're producing high-income earners, a percentage of these high-income earners and the bags of money and their savings account will eventually move back to this area. This is from the virginia.edu website, news.virginia.edu. A study compiled by the Burning Glass Institute 
a nonprofit that analyzes employee trends through its data-driven research, ranks UVA as the, pop, as the top public university for high-paying jobs in the finance field. The University of Virginia graduates in the finance field, according to the Burning Glass Institute, make more than 19000 above the average salary for someone in the finance field. UVA, number one for public universities. Um, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, two. Binghamton University, three. University of California, Berkeley, four. And William & Mary, five. MIT was number one from the private institutions. These kind of little trends, these kind of little um, nuanced elements work their way into the future of Charlottesville. I, do, you, do you think we could figure out or how we could figure out the percentage of folks that move back here that graduate? I mean, I, I wonder if UVA has got that data. How would they even compile that data? They would almost have to volunteer into that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they, I mean, I'm sure that they follow alumni, but uh, as to where they all live, that might be a little beyond the scope of that. What do you make of the finance? McIntyre School of Commerce crushing it. The top public university for high-paying jobs in the finance field, UVA. That's great. I mean, it's wonderful. I don't know what to... I'm not sure uh, I have really any more than that to say about it. It's an interesting fact. How do you think that influences Charlottesville? How do I think it influences Charlottesville? Mm, depends on how many upcoming finance students know that uh, UVA is the best. I'm sure it leads a lot of them to uh, Charlottesville. True. True. Only going to attract more now with this getting out there. And yeah. McIntyre is straight up embracing this. The school of uh, McIntyre School of Commerce Associate Dean for Career and Corporate Engagement, Tom Fitch, said on Tuesday of this week, this speaks to the strength of UVA students and its curriculum, as well as McIntyre's rigorous program, its real-world applicability, dedicated faculty, and the commitment of the Commerce School's career service team. This is only going to attract more, it's only going to make this more competitive. And it's going to just snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball and build and build and build in a Again, the invisible hand of capitalism is unbeatable. What does capitalism have to do with it? Are you saying that uh, the school is going to raise their prices because of this? I think all the above. I think think, they're already going to. I think it's going to be more competitive, which allows them to do that. I think it's going to produce graduates that are making more money than any other graduates in the country. Some of them are going to work... X amount of years and say, I'm tired of working here. I've got so much money, I can pretty much move and do whatever I want. And they're going to wax the nostalgic of their four years at UVA, and some of them are going to come back here. And we're going to continue to get this nomadic, this nomadic, almost this like carpetbagger. And I don't mean this with negative connotations, maybe partially, but not completely. This nomadic and almost carpetbagger rush to the area from folks who graduated from UVA. Mm-hmm. You're, this article, this is what this basically article is saying. 
Our school of commerce is badass. Everyone in America knows it. We're producing students from the school of commerce in the finance field that earn more money than any other public university. On average, our graduates, 19000 more average salary in the finance field. Mm-hmm. The top, the best of the best are going to want to be on this track. This track is going to have high income producers from day one out of college. They're going to work X amount of years, get super wealthy, going to be able to do whatever they want with that wealth. And a lot of them, or partially some of them, are going to move to this area. We see it with every other field here at UVA. And that expedites gentrification, that creates a, cosmo, that creates a cosmopolitan and worldly community, no doubt. It creates a robust tech sector, an innovative tech sector. It creates finance firms and hedge funds galore. It creates a fantastic entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial ecosystem. But it gentrifies the community massively. Hmm. Um, before I get to the Richmond Pickleball headline... And I know pickleball is not your cup of tea. I, I definitely want your take on the Bob Yarborough comments from yesterday on Dr. Bryce. Perhaps you read the comment from uh, Bob Yarborough if you could. I think it started with the Scott Aaronworth comment. Then I responded. Then Bob Yarborough, friend of the program, King of Redfields, responded. Um, I just want to highlight, before I get to all this on the show, I want to highlight the influence of uh, Michael Bills and Sonia Smith on the 2022-2023 um, election cycle. Michael Bills is a. Um, how would I describe him, Michael Bills? A kingmaker, a man that utilizes his vast um, war chest, treasure chest of money to influence political campaigns, um, governor races. Um, Senate races, delicate races, um, you name it, this guy's got a hand at it, especially if it's in Virginia. Uh, a hedge fund manager, Michael Bills, um, an entrepreneur. Um, he's the primary backer from the advocacy group of the advocacy group Clean Virginia. Um, his ex-wife, interestingly, Sonia Smith, she's now a kingmaker in her own right. Sonia Smith has funded a ton of Sally Hudson, um, you know, significant money to a candidate like Sally Hudson for her delegate race and her Senate race against Cree Deeds. To put in perspective what Michael Bills and Sonia Smith have done over the 2022-2023 election cycle, you need to go to vpap.org. I love this website, vpap.org. You get information on vpap.org on candidates um, and the fundraising they are doing. It's fantastic. You really get a feel on vpap.org for what the kingmakers are doing. And there's no bigger kingmaker on vpap than Michael Bills. In the 2022-2023 election cycle, this Charlottesvillian has donated $7,300,000. Second place is Dominion Energy. Yes, Dominion Energy in Richmond. And Dominion has donated $3,043,176. Uh, 
Clean Virginia is in fourth place. They've donated $1,962,500. Remember, Michael Bills, the primary backer of the advocacy group Clean Virginia, who's in third. And then Michael Bills, ex-wife Sonia Smith, in fourth with $646,364. Sonia Smith, of that $646,000, she has deployed forty. Excuse me, $50,999 has gone to Sally Hudson's state Senate campaign. She's also given $42,350 to Katrina Coulson. So you can make, so Sonia's the top donator, top donor to Coulson and Hudson. What I'm relaying to you is nothing clandestine. It's on the internet. You can find it in less than one minute. What I'm relaying to you is nothing novel. Sonia Smith and Michael Bills routinely influence elections like this. What I'm re relaying to you is nothing nefarious or, or sketchy or bat backroom dealing. They can donate money to campaigns. However, what I am relaying to you is the power that money brings when it comes to influencing who gets into office. You got one man who has got $7,300,000 deployed in this cycle alone. And in an advocacy group that he's the primary backer, he's got another basically $2 million deployed. You got nine, close to $10 million tied to him. And his ex-wife, who is uh, an attorney, she's got degrees galore. Sonia Smith is, is, should not be underestimated. She's incredibly well-credentialed. She's a lawyer. She's an a, a, a aggressive, hard-nosed businesswoman. She's a philanthropist. She's a kingmaker in her own right. She's got 646000 on the campaign street. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. All right, we can go back to the two shot. I don't think you want anything. You have anything to say on Bills and Smith, but I don't want to assume. Anything you want to jump in on those two guys? That's fair. No. Okay. Good. Okay. Anything you want to throw in on the pickleball? An 18 court pickleball venue coming to Richmond. This article from Richmond BizSense. If folks want to follow what's happening in the Richmond business community, RichmondBizSense.com. B-I-Z is a fantastic resource. Um, this story from a couple days ago. In the old Regency Mall, and excuse me, in the former Macy space at Regency Mall, a pickleball venue is coming. 18-court pickleball venue, sports bar, restaurant, pro shop, TVs everywhere. We're talking 41,000 square feet of retail space that's being rebirthed and reimagined as an 18-court pickleball venue called Performance Pickleball RVA. The folks behind this project are Lee Warfield, the CEO of Richmond commercial real estate firm, Tallheimer. And unsurprisingly, a massive pickleball fan. Yeah. Warfield's partners in the pickleball venture are John Lasser, Jeff Newman, and Leah Fremu. Um, okay. This got me thinking where this could go in Charlottesville area. Have you been bitten by the pickleball bug? Do you play any pickleball, any racket sports? 
No, not no. really. Okay. Any sports at all? Not regularly. Okay. Pickleball, you might enjoy. I'm it's a good way. It's a good way to meet people. Uh, it's a very. It's a. You know what the joy of pickleball is? Is it? This is why I think you would like it, and and viewers and listeners in general. Hmm. It's it's um it's easy to play, but it's difficult to master. It's easy for someone to go and pick up a paddle yeah. and hit a wiffle ball and play with other people and be social and get some sunshine and meet new people. How is it different from... But it's, impo- it's difficult to master. How is it different from tennis and racquetball and... Uh... Oh, it's so different. Racquetball doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> racquetball is played inside on a court that has walls. I thought pickleball was too. Pickleball is played outside. Okay, then, but clearly not always outside because aren't some of these indoor courts going to be pickleball courts? Touche. The, the development in Richmond is going to a Macy's. It's an 18-court right. indoor facility. Pickleball, I'll be more specific, is a smaller version of a tennis court. You could normally get two and a half, or excuse me, how could you get? You could usually get, uh, is it three pickleball courts on a tennis court? Um, three with the tennis on courts. one tennis yeah. court? Pickleball's a smaller court. You should look wow. it up. I really think this would be a great way for you to meet some new people. Um, for instance, if you want a free place to play pickleball, Darden Tau is the epicenter of, mm-hmm. of, of pickleball, uh, free pickleball in this area. It has me thinking that if someone's taking a Macy's in the Richmond area mm-hmm. in Henrico and converting 41,000 square feet of retail space Macy's into an 18 court indoor pickleball sports bar, is that a potential use for the massive vacancies we have along route 29? Is that a potential use for the massive vacancies that we have in Fashion Square Mall? Could that have been a potential use had the negotiations have gone sour at the movie theater in Stonefield when they were considering closing and shuttering the doors? And we were wondering what the hell were we going to do with the Stonefield? Pickleball. 41,000 square feet, 18 courts. Yeah. This is going to stack paper. If someone wants, now it's going to cost some money to, it'll cost some money to create. But if you want to make some money in central Virginia, you create a for-profit business that's a pickleball epicenter. I have no idea how much you would need. I bet you you would need like a, a million bucks to get this going. Meg Charity tried to do this in the Richmond area. She's doing it in the Charlotte area now. Rally is the name of her business. And it would be Pickleball Meets Sports Bar. You get an approachable menu with flat screen TVs, some draft beer, some wine, and some cocktails, and pickleball courts where you can order food to your table at your court. You have an hour to two hours to play. You have a TV at your court where you can watch the game. You're provided a sleeve of three balls. Watch your own game? No, watch a sports game, basketball game, football game, not your own game. But why would you be sitting at a court watching? Because that's what people like to do. Okay. I, I don't know. I know. You have not played. <laughs> I know. I know. We know. Um, you would be watching like 
the UVA football game while playing pickleball or watching an ACC basketball game while playing uh, pickleball. It would crush it. I would say there's two, 200 to 250 active players at Boar's Head. I'd say there's 175 active players at Greencroft, 150 active players at Farmington, maybe 50 active players at Keswick, maybe 25 or 30 active players at Glenmore, and the Central Virginia Pickleball Club probably has 200 or 250 active players, plus all the folks that play in their free time or just leisurely, I bet you the market legitimately has 3,000 to 5,000 people in it. Damn. And you charge for court time, and then you also monetize uh, draft beer, cocktails, wine, and some bar food. That would work in this area. The barrier of entry would be the cost, and finding a place that has 40,000 square feet, though. I don't know where the hell you're going to find that. Well, it doesn't have to be as big as the one they're building in Richmond. To make money at a concept like this, you need scale. And how this concept makes money is by renting court time. So if it doesn't have ample court time, it can't scale. Because the people can't buy money, the people can't spend money on booze like food and liquor and wine and food if they're not there playing. So the number one way you make this successful is to make sure you get people in the door playing, and then the mark, markup that. is on the F and B. I understand that, but Richmond's also a bigger market than Charlottesville is. Do you think you're going to keep all 40,000 square feet of that uh, I don't even know. booked up full-time? This, this is, I mean, the, the, a different question is this. A different question is this. How many places can you name in the Charlottesville area that are 40,000 square feet in one spot? Charlottesville is, just doesn't have it. That is another problem. Yeah, that's the, the chicken and an egg. That's it right there. I mean, you could probably name, if you, if you take out the movie theater and the grocery stores, take out the grocery stores and the movie theaters. How many 40,000 square foot buildings like, like a Macy's are there in the Charlottesville area? There's not many. It's the end caps on the malls, Right? I mean, you got the end caps on the malls, like the Macy's, the Sears, the Dillard's, the Belk's. They're in that neighborhood. How many of those are in that area, in, in, in this area? Not many. You got, what else? Maybe one or two of the spots on Maybe. Albemarle Square, Seminole Square. I mean, ACAC's got 40,000 plus square feet with its downtown and 29 North location, no doubt. Mm. I mean, there's just not that much of it. Anything you think of? Uh, I mean, I, all I was thinking of was places like uh, places like furniture spots, uh, shoe stores, like DS. What is it? DSV, DSW, DSW. whatever. DSW. Uh, places like uh, Staples. I bet you Staples is probably pretty close to forty thousand. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Staples I don't know is exact numbers. Freaking but. massive. That's another thing that's about to... Does anyone think Staples Office Center is going to renew their lease at that location? You go to Staples at Vinegar Hill, Charlottesville, walk through Staples any day. You may see like five people in there. This space is effing massive. 
The internet has cannibalized the Staples office business. They're just buying, we just buy stuff online. Yeah. What's the future of that massive space at Vinegar Hill? Is it chopping it up or could it be a pickleball epicenter? A pickleball epicenter would crush it here. It would crush it here. We have the, the racket aficionados and the affluence and depth and income. All right. We're going to need you for the next segment here. So you're bringing your A-plus game. I think his comments got you thinking. Is he watching? Bob, are you watching? Bob Yarborough is um, a man who I tremendously respect. He's come on this program before. He was on the executive team of Habitat for Humanity National, nationwide, U.S., Habitat for Humanity U.S. And Bob, and I, I do think, I do believe you are watching here, um, Bob is just a good man. He looks at life with kind eyes. Kind eyes. He gives folks the benefit of the doubt, and he lives by the golden rule. He's open-minded. He is charitable. He's a local beer um, champion, a craft beer champion. He loves beer at Decipher. He loves beer at Three Notch. He loves great music. He loves supporting local. He's the king of Redfields, which is a great neighborhood in Albemarle County, south of town. Mm -hmm. Just a great dude. Yesterday on the program, we were talking about a candidate who's running for school board in Albemarle County, Dr. Meg Bryce, for the at-large seat. We talked about her opponent in the, in the race, Allison Spillman, who on her Instagram stories was utilizing aggressive campaign tactics against Bryce, in particular co-branding, correlating, tying her to her late father, the Supreme Court Justice, who certainly has um, um, notoriety, reputation, and, 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 and history tied to his name. Yeah, That's all fair. That's all 100% fair. So here were the King of Redfield's comments in response to yesterday's program where I said, Allison Spillman, Dr. Bryce's competition in this race, was being Bush League or, or, or lowbrow or, or childish in mudslinging or utilizing mudslinging tactics of tying Dr. Bryce the candidate today, to her late father, the Supreme Court Justice. I said Dr. Bryce is someone who has her own opinions, her own thoughts, and, and, and what she says is rooted or based on a foundation of personal experiences or conversations she's had with others in, in, in the area she's talking about. She is... well thought out and thinks before she speaks in just about every circumstance I've seen. So here was, and it's intriguing, um, the King of Redfield's comments. If you could read those to the viewers and listeners, J-Dubs. And you want me to start with Scott Worth? Sure, Scott Aaronworth. King of Virginia Beach started with the comments. So Scott <clears throat> had this to say. And Scott Aaronworth is watching. Okay. Uh, he had this to say, bringing 
De- Dr. Bryce's dead father into the mix is low class. I would vote against Spillman all day, every day. To which you, Jerry, responded, uh, Scott, Bush League move for sure. To which Bob Yarbrough responded, Jerry Miller, if you are the daughter of one of the most conservative, divisive, and influential Supreme Court justices ever, and you run for political office, to expect your opponent not to surface this fact would be naive. Dr. Scalia Bryce seems smart and savvy, and I'm sure anticipated this, accounted for it in her decision to run, and is prepared to counter. If you are her opponent, who assumedly holds opposing views to Scalia, to not hammer home this fact would be akin to political malpractice. There you go. Um, Bob Yarborough at one time was a newspaper man, a journalist. Was it in Mississippi, I believe, Bob, (coughs) if memory serves correct? You were a newspaper man in Mississippi. And the uh, copy that you wrote right there was was efficient and elegant, dude. It was tight. The copy was tight. It made me um, think of my newspaper newspaper days. Still, I'm sidetracked here. I want to talk about the essence of Bob's comments, which were Dr. Bryce's competitor should undoubtedly use her relationship with her late father against her. That was the essence of the comment. Yeah. And the essence of the comment was it's expected. Dr. Bryce expected that. I know she expected that. And he also basically said it's fair game. If you're not doing this, then it's malpractice, which basically means you're an idiot. Yeah. If you don't shoot yourself, you're an idiot. Right. You're an idiot if you do that. Do you think he's got a point? Mississippi, the Magnolia State. Bob Yarborough says. He's watching right now. Dr. Bryce also watching right now. I believe the other candidate, uh, candidate Spillman watching as well. Um, Where would you like to begin? Scott Aaronworth is also. So we got all the players, all the players here watching. Yeah. uh, Bob definitely has a point. Um, You think Bob has a point? Yeah, he's definitely got a point. I mean, it's, uh, it's a fair point. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. Um, I don't. I certainly don't like it when uh, <clears throat> when politics devolves to uh, you know name calling. Name calling, yeah. Like is that um, is that name calling? It's it's kind of a, a guilt by association name calling. Okay. It's like guilt. Okay. Okay. Guilt by association name calling. Yeah. That's the like, first time I've ever heard that term. Guilt by association name calling. I mean, I. I'm sure we we see it a lot in uh, in politics. He's a voter. This Basically. guy Bob Yarbrough is a voter in this race. He lives in Redfields. That's in Almore County. That's in the Samuel Miller district. I used to live in Redfields on Rockledge Drive. This guy and his wife are a voter in this race. This is two votes in this household. Has has a daughter in college. She technically is a voter as well. These are three votes right here in a race that's going to be determined in a handful of months. Okay. Um, Bob does have a point. This was going to happen. And I would think that, in fact, I know. I can speak with confidence and conviction. Dr. Bryce expected this to happen. Yeah. She's not surprised. She's not unaware of who her father is. Probably probably has happened her entire life. Definitely has happened her entire life. I still... For as someone who makes his living not as a talk show host, this is in the grand scheme of things, 
a very small fraction of how we pay our bills, okay? As someone who makes his living, you make your living in the PR branding world. That's how we pay our mortgages, right? For the candidate to have rhetoric like that on her communications channels, it gives the impression of childish. She can offer that perspective. Mm -hmm. That's part of campaigning. You choose what you say and how you act and how you go about your business. But it's childish. It comes across as lowbrow and bush league. And it's worsened. The lowbrow and bush league nature of this is worsened because Dr. Bryce's father has passed away. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. It also says... Okay, to- this is not somebody that is walking on the downtown mall. He's passed away. Yeah. It's utilizing someone who's not living for your personal benefit. That's what's happening. And then it's up to us, the world, Albemarle, voters of the at-large seat, to determine if we want that behavior associated with people leading a school system that is asking for nearly $300 million of taxpayer resources. And even more importantly, seven people who in a lot of ways influence and determine how kids learn through the school board. So the point is fair. Yeah. Undoubtedly fair. But I'll say it again. Utilizing... the policy and the track record of someone who is dead to paint a negative impression of an active candidate is bush league. It's pathetic. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Bryce is not her father. Uh, even if he was alive, she wouldn't be her father. And uh, using using that while uh, it's, it's, while it's, Bob Yarbrough's point is fair, I think what it tells me about the candidate is they don't have anything substantive to say, uh, and it's, are it's actually going, are going to stand on their uh, on their opponents. It's actually uh, sexist. It's actually sexist. It is somewhat. I, it's actually sexist. It's marginalizing her voice because she's a woman and saying that that voice is trumped or superseded by, by the father. male's voice. Yeah. That's, and, and that's in a fair point some, well. ru- some ways it's rooted in sexism. Yeah. Though I, though I doubt she means it as such. But uh, the perception. But, yeah. The perception is... Perception's important. You're running for school board. The perception is I don't need to attack my opponent. I can attack uh, her father who's more, the more important figure. And, and, and in the grand scheme of things, it's the school board. It's the school board. We're talking about a school board race. And we're talking about a tax on the campaign trail. And the school board race. A tax on the campaign trail in a school board race. I would certainly rather, uh, rather hear uh, positions and stances and platforms. Um, and that's what I was trying to say, is that... Uh, is that 
what she's saying here tells Scott, me that. Scott asked this question. Are you saying she, Spillman, would not have said this about Bryce had Bryce had been a male? I think that is what Jerry is saying. I think there's a shot at that. Yeah. I think there's a fairly big chance that this wouldn't have been brought up if, if uh, Dr. Price were a male. Was a dude. Were a man. Was a dude. Okay. I think the connection, because there's I think the also, connection would be made, but not, not, in, not in this uh, blatant fashion. Right. And that perpetuates, and I don't have daughters, I have sons. Okay? But that, as, as uh, uh, dad and mom... As parents who are trying to raise, in particular, our five-year-old who's strong-willed and our five-year-old is alpha and he's confident and he's out, you know, we got to, like, mold our five-year-old. He has, we have to mold this kid. We treat, we, we parent them to treat everyone the same. And when you perpetuate these kind of even indirect or, or, or these indirect narratives or these indirect stigmas. Assaults. It, 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 whether they admit it or whether they realize it or not, it influences the next generation. It influences, it perpetuates a stigma that then can be picked up or inferred by younger people. But I do respect, I do appreciate his comment, and he's, he's written this. To, par, to paraphrase, this is from Bob Yarbrough, okay? Bob, I love the comment. The comment's great for a talk show, dude. And I think if you had an opportunity to meet um, Dr. Bryce, that you would be impressed. He says, to paraphrase Tip O'Neill, all politics are local, and I think you'll find that these hyper-local school board races will be brutal given the current climate. I, I think you're 100% right. Yeah. We're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now. We're seeing it right now. What'd you make of her Spillman throwing her son Henry in the mix? I don't know that it was necessary. In I had no opinion. problem with that. I don't have a problem with her naming her son, but in the context of this, it sounds as though she's implying that... Uh, that Dr. Bryce is somehow like uh, directly aligned against her son and people like him, and I don't know that that's true. And again, I would rather I'd rather <coughs> this be a discussion of facts than uh, than uh, you know the beginning of well, hopefully the beginning and the end of the mudslinging. She says, unfortunately, this is what Spillman says in her social media. Unfortunately, uh, Bryce shares some of her father's beliefs, and she has spoken publicly in favor of anti-trans policies that could harm a lot of kids, including my sweet Henry. We also disagree on basically everything else, too, Spillman says. Um, I have no problem with her including Henry in the mix. No. I, no problem at all. I don't either. I, I find that to be uh, refreshingly authentic. Okay. Refreshingly authentic for someone to offer us such a uh, vulnerable glimpse into her home. 
That's what Spillman did. It was a vulnerable glimpse into our home, and it also served as uh, a glimpse that, that, that was the foundation of why she's running in part. Okay. That's fair. I still think in this context it was a little... Uh, crass isn't quite the word. But I don't have a problem with her mentioning her son or bringing him up. I just feel like in this context it was... Uh, more weaponized than uh, than used to uh, to explain her stance. Grayson is asking you to change the lower third on screen. It's funny the viewers and listeners are now calling them lower thirds. I respect their sophisticated um, vernacular. Vanessa Parkhill in I th- Earliesville. I think pe- we're. I think we're on the correct one now. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville. <clears throat> Earliesville, she's a voter for the at-large seat. We've got a lot of voters for the at-large seat that watch this program. We have a lot of voters in Almar County for the at-large seat that watch. Vanessa says, people, could we please focus on policy? She says, Bob Yarborough is right that in politics today, Spillman would be an idiot not to highlight Bryce's family connection. That's unfortunate. We've come to that. Maybe the real idiots here are the people across the political spectrum who respond to that type of campaign. Who was it that said that people get the government they deserve? (laughs) Hmm. I mentioned this live on air. All right, Bob. I want to thank Bob Yarbrough for the comments. Like, this this is what we're trying to do with the show. Even if, like, we don't agree with every aspect or element of the comment or the topic, or what we're chatting about, we still talk about it. And we do it in a way that's, like, respectful. Mm -hmm. Like, we can agree to disagree. And we can agree to disagree, and it makes for a great talk show. Yeah. Because you're getting all the different sides. Mm -hmm. So please, continue sending us content. Please continue writing comments, because those comments will be will influence the show. Carol Thorpe says she's a voter in the at-large seat in the Jack Jewett district, Carol Thorpe. She says another point to yesterday's conversation about Dr. Bryce's potential election, despite her disadvantage of being a minority vote, Dr. Bryce's presence on the school board would be a tremendous value by providing a set of eyes and ears inside the closed-door meetings. She will offer a dissenter's opinion where necessary and hold the mostly monolithic board accountable to the community by providing the public some needed sunlight and transparency. That's a great point. And I talked about, that's a fantastic point, Carol, because she's responding to what I meant when I, when I relayed the story about being on the road trip with my brother and my dad and my mom, and my dad was driving his busted old Cadillac baby blue, powder blue from Florida to Hampton. And it's a 22-hour trip, and he wanted to make it in as fast a time as possible. So we were stopping it, like, off the side of the road to pee and to use the bathroom to save as much time. And on one of those particular trips, when we were driving the beat-up old baby blue Cadillac, it was a late 80s model Cadillac with the, with the, uh, the, the rear lights that kind of came up and gave it this kind of, like, boat appearance. He said, all right. You got five minutes to pee. My brother and I get out on the side of the dusty road on a road that didn't even have a shoulder. So we're standing on gravel where the gravel meets the grass. We both drop our trousers. I'm in third grade. He's in second grade. So we're wearing tidy whities We both drop our tidy whities and we start peeing. And we're peeing literally into the wind. 
It blows the pee back all over us. And at that moment, in third grade, me, second grade, my brother, we learned the lesson of peeing into the wind. And I said, being on this board when you were the only individual to have the mindset that she does is like peeing into the wind. It's going to be extremely challenging and difficult. It's a seven-person board, and she will be undoubtedly isolated with her ideology on this board. Carol says, while, Jerry, that is the case, she will be eyes and ears on the board to offer the community some kind of transparency that could yield accountability for the board. Yeah. It's a great point. It's a great point, Carol Thorpe. All right. um, I don't have anything to add. Is that the show? Just about. You got anything? Oh, the Yiddish word of the day. (laughs) Judah's Yiddish word of the day. I love how Ginny Hu on Twitter has turned Judah's Yiddish word of the day into a uh, segment on the program. The show is yours, Judah. All right. And Deep Throat is exactly right. We do have Sonia Smith to thank for Nakaya Walker. And Sonia Smith was 40% of Sally. Oh, no, no, no. I'll take that back. Sonia Smith definitely helped fund Nakaya Walker's campaign. She's a massive contributor, 50K plus for Sally Hudson's campaign for Senate. All right, Yiddish word of the day, J-Dubs. All right. Today's word is chamul. Is what? Chamul. Chamul? Yeah. How do you spell that? C-H-A-M-O-O-L-E. C-H-A-M-O-O-L-E. Chamul. Okay. Use chamul in a sentence, please. Uh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's such a chamul. What does chamul uh, mean? It means donkey, jackass, numbskull, or fool. So in back-to-back days, the Yiddish words of the day you've chosen are jerk and numbskull. No, yesterday was spilkies. What was spilkies? <laughs> spilkies was uh, pins and needles. Oh, what was the day before that? Uh, Schmendrick. What was that one? That was the... Oh, that was jerk. Yeah. Okay. So in two of three days, you've chosen uh, numbskull and jerk. I mean, there's a lot of... And you to... don't like comedies. I like And you words. don't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. I, I just throw that out there. We're, we're learning from you every day on this program. Um, all right. So the word is shamul. Yeah. Shamul. Shamul. Okay. And how many Yiddish words of the day do we have? Uh, I think, I think so. you're keeping a running tab. Yeah, I didn't keep uh, track of the dates of the first few, but uh, uh, I think we're up to like five or maybe six. We left, we left one in the comments, didn't we? I don't know if we. I actually... don't know. This is your segment here. This is Judah Wickhauer's Yiddish word of the day. We're gonna we're gonna get a sponsor for Judah Wickhauer's Yiddish go. word of the day. Yeah. Don't you think Judah Wickhauer's Yiddish word of the day will drive a ton of business to a local uh, oh, family? All the, uh, all the uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish people in Charlottesville are probably lining up to give us I money. Think, I don't think you have to be Jewish to appreciate a good Yiddish word. It definitely I helps. I think a, a good Yiddish word is applicable to anyone. A good Yiddish word is its own uh, reward. Yeah. Good Yiddish, I mean, you hear a good Yiddish word used in a sentence, and you stop what you're doing, and you appreciate it. Yeah, here's a good one. 
Uh, should I save it? Well, you could do It's the Judah Wickhauer Yiddish Word of the Day. Right now it's sponsored by nobody, but a, we're going to get a sponsor here. A chaser blibed a chaser. I don't know what that means. You've got to use it in a sentence. Neither did I. I'm, I, don't know how you, I don't know if you can use this one in a sentence. It means a pig remains a pig. What's that? A pig remains a pig. Okay. It's basically the, I think it's the Yiddish version of uh, lipstick on a pig. Um, Deep Throat <laughs> is loving the Yiddish words. He, right. he said yesterday, uh, what was it? Uh, Shpilkis? Uh, yeah, Shpilkis. Shpilkis. <laughs> or Shpilkis. Shpilkis. Sitting on pins. His grandmother often used Shpilkis. Yep. I saw you the other day. I saw you yesterday, Deep Throat. It was nice to see you. Um, all, all of my aunt's dogs were named after. Were named oh, yeah. After. You were supposed to tell everybody about your aunt's dog's names. Did you find that list? Oh, it's already 140. I got a meeting here. Um, we'll tell me, did you, find, did you find that list of your aunt's dog's names? Uh, I don't know if there is a list. Uh, I could ask my sisters. They know everything about our family. Okay. Such I know the, such I, a strange response to what I just said. What? I said, there is no do list. You, can you give us the list of your aunt's dog's name? No, you said. And you, you said you, I don't think there's a link. You said did you find uh, a list? What are your aunt's dog's names? Well, How's that? I have to change the question. Puppic. Okay, what is it? Puppic. How do you spell that? Uh, I think it's P-U-P-I-K. These are all Yiddish words, right? Yeah. Okay, what's that one mean? Pupik means navel or belly button. Okay, so your aunt named her dog after her belly button. I guess. Okay, Pupik. Uh, <laughs> chutzpah. Oh, I love that dog. Everybody knows that word. Was Chutzpah Jack Russell Terrier? No. I feel like if your name Chutzpah, you're like a Jack Russell Terrier. No. What was Chutzpah? Chutzpah. I mean, Chutzpah had to have a lot of energy or stick to <clears throat> I, it. Was, it chutzpah was a, was a winner dog. It was a little dog. He's a winner, though. I think it might have been a. Uh, I think it might have been a Chihuahua. Okay, dog. It's it's it, Hutzpah. Brazenness. Yeah. Or gall. I love Hutzpah. Uh, Hutzpah reminds me of the phrase for the dog. It's not the size of the dog, but it's the size of the fight of the dog that matters. All right. So Hutzpah is the second one. What was the third one? Uh, the third one was Shana Madel. Who? Sh- uh, that was one of the words previously. Shana Madel. Okay. It's a little girl, little princess. Okay. Um, was, and she had a big dog. I don't think she named it a, a Yiddish name. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember, but uh, I'm fairly certain it was not. Those are the three that I remember. I'm sure there were more, though. So she's in, what was the last one? Shana Madel. She's in the dog park in Los Angeles. I don't think she ever took her dog. Where does she dog live? She lives in Los Angeles. She's walk, walking her dog. Maybe. I don't Around know. the block of Los Angeles. Sure. Why not? And she's got the dogs on the leash. Chutzpah, the chihuahua, <laughs> sees the sexy looking Labrador on the other side of the road, rips the leash out of her, your mm-hmm. grandma's hand, your aunt's hand. She could be seen in this Los Angeles neighborhood screaming, Hutzpah, 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 come over here, Hutzpah, come here. Shamalad, Shamalad, Shamalad. What was the word? Shamalad? What's the last one? Uh, you mean Carmen San Diego, come here. 
Carmen San Diego, the one that means baby princess. Carmen San Diego, come Shana here. Shana Madel. What is it? Shana Madel. Shane. Shane Reed, come here. Shane Reed, come here. What? What is it? What was it called? Shana Madel. Shana Madel, come here. <laughs> Something like that, maybe. Oh, maybe. I would, I would pay to see that. I would pay to belly up to a bar with your aunt and her five Yiddish-named American classics. They're not all still with us, but... <laughs> They're in doggy heaven, somewhere in space. Chutzpah, you were a good one. For Judah Wickhauer... That's exactly where doggy heaven is. My... <laughs> For Judah Wick... Somewhere in space. Doggy heaven is somewhere on the other side of Market Street. Dogs There's Joffrey Woodruff's building. Space. Where QIM used to be located, now it's in the code building. Heaven, where Hutzpah's located, is on the other side of 401 East Market Street, somewhere before Court Square. I think it's somewhere around the Renaissance School. Is Doggy Heaven. Is Doggy Heaven. And that's where you walk, Liza. I, yeah, she goes by there every once in a while. She goes by there every day. Does she not go by there every day? Uh, go by the Renaissance School? Five days a week, she's at Court Square. No. Mostly. All right. Thank you for joining us. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville show on a Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow. She goes by there every day. Okay. You don't, think she, you don't go to Port Square every day? Yeah. That doesn't mean we go by Renaissance School every day. <laughs>